Welcome to Lore Citizen, a podcast dedicated to all things Star Citizen lore. If you enjoy this, make sure that you like, subscribe, and follow all of our social medias. Without further ado, let's get started. Hello and welcome back to Lore Citizen. We have a special uh, first contact week, alien week. Uh, for this episode for you, uh, though it's not the fluffy and feel good first contact week of, uh, of of years gone, we are going to learn about uh, the most devastating and horrendous force uh, humanity has ever faced since the Tavaran Wars, the Vandur. Um, but before we get to talking about that, let's let's meet the people who we're going to talk to. I'm going to start with Keenan. Who are you? What do you do in Star Citizen, and where can they find you? Hello. Yes, my name is Keenan. I go by Space Tomato, as most people probably know me. Uh, I make YouTube content. I make some some guides. I host a blog about Star Citizen. I do Twitch streams and all the jazz. I'm, I'm all in on, on Star Citizen and also some other sci-fi games if you're interested in that. So you can find me on anywhere, really, uh, just by searching Space Tomato. Space Tomato. Uh, all right. Uh, then we've got... Um... Old man Hurston, Mr. Mr. Algarid himself. Al, who are you? What are you doing, Star Citizen? Where can they find you? Uh, well, well, partly uh, these days I'm probably better known as uh, old man Al Hurston, as you as you you rightly pointed <laughs> out. Uh, the 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 old man who who uh, runs the, the the bar who who employs Polly. My 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 <laughs> great lucky. Well, I'm, I'm yeah. Algarid. I'm um, one of the info runners. Uh, joined by um joined by uh often uh Keenan and Paul. One of these days we have to get jail on just so we can have all four of us as info runners. We can gang um, up on uh we can gang up on on execute and have him That's right. Uh, so we can gang up on execute because that's always fun. Lore. Yeah. <laughs> um although you were saying you want to get want to get him on as a as a um the yeah. noob of what are you guys on about? Tell me about this. So, so, so he actually requested that we he come on at some point, and we just he, him just asking questions for us, and we just give him answers. And I was like, that's yeah. a cool idea. It's 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 similar to to Keenan's like uh, it's it's kind of like how uh, Keenan will do with space with on Space Tomato sh- channel on your Space Tomato channel, where you're bringing like new people to Star Citizen and just play it and just see like the 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 everything light up when. Yeah, you know, yeah. Seeing seeing Get people that, that new experience. Yeah, yeah. Seeing people like discover the lore for the first time is like, oh yeah, right. I remember when it wasn't just so normal to know these things. <laughs> to, and, to be and like, to be honest, yeah. I, I feel like you guys are about to give away my position. I'm still a, a lore noob, so yes. <laughs> all the stuff we go over, I really haven't heard of that much either. So I'll be yeah. right there with execute and asking those questions if it comes. There on. we go. There we go. That works. Um, I remember that was. Uh, that was going to be your uh, your your thing when you joined us. It was uh, I'm going to have a noob who's asking the questions, but hey, we threw you in the deep end and, and I got real research. <laughs> hey, you you swam last episode. You swam, so that was that was fine. Uh, and uh, last but not least, we have Mr. Jail. Jail, who are you? What do you do in Star Citizen? Where can they find you? I'm Jail. You can find me camping out at whatever corner of the internet they're going to put the Alien Week lore up. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on YouTube. And you can find me here. Yeah, I I have heard l- rumors that there is uh, new lore coming out, like brand new alien lore, because Zylo is a oh, horrible, horrible troll, and he's been telling me, "Oh yeah, new lore coming out specifically with aliens for Alien Week." It's like, 
Tyler. Don't tease me. Please. I'm guessing, you know, <laughs> I'm guessing we're going to get like some Banu culture stuff. That'd be good. Um, they they fleshed out language? the Xi'an culture stuff. Maybe. I think yeah. Tamaran language will launch at a um, CitizenCon, as uh, they have done the previous ones. I'd but, like to see an alien right. ground cool. vehicle. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that'd be fun. It, it, it would yeah. be good to see some Tavaran, um, especially because the Tavaran are in Branner as well. So mm. you'd expect that the, the Tavaran are going to be slightly different in that system. We've had several law pieces in the past, in the past several months, about the, the, the uh, Tavaran and the Brant and, and the way with the two, I suppose, aspects of the culture surviving in terms of the, those in UEE and those in Branner. Mm-hmm. It'd be lovely to see a, a Tavaran uh, vehicle from a Tavaran manufacturer and see their flavor, not necessarily the Esperia flavor, but so it, it, that would be nice. But yeah. I think the the thing we're quite likely to see maybe, because we know that they've worked on it and it's done, is an animated Xi'an face because they've, they've said, oh, we're working on this, working on this, and then they stopped talking about it. So it was probably finished. So that would be a cool thing to drop in an alien week. Yeah. So, um, uh, that's let's that, that's everyone here and our little discussion. Let's get started with the the Van Duel skirmishes. Now I'm going to set this 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 tone so people understand that really even on the um uh the wiki it's 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 separated like this uh, and it makes sense in terms of historically. Generally speaking, humanity did not take the Van Duel threat very seriously before 2944 45. I can't remember exactly when the war was declared. So there's a time period before. Um, that what we're talking about right now is a time period before war was actually declared, because as you'll hear through the lore, really humanity didn't know much about the Van Duel up until fairly recently. Uh, and a lot of like every battle, every conflict that humanity would fight with them is very enlightening. We learned a little bit more every time. Um, and, and you'll probably learn, learn a little bit more about how it, it, at first, or at least, or at least deceptively, the Vanduul do not seem like an all-encompassing juggernaut, um, but they can quickly become that. So, without further ado, let's learn about how humanity first encountered the Vanduul and our first major pushback from the uh, from by the Vanduul forces. Uh, from oh, go ahead. So, if you're after a title for this, it is from the wrath of the Vanduul. Oh, deliver us, O oh Lord taking a, a, a misquote from the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle and the, the way the Anglo-Saxons viewed the Vikings. <laughs> and, and I really come to that because as I started to do the reading on those early encounters with the Vandal, it really did feel like that was, that was the impact that the Vandal had. It was, oh, deliver us from this, these vicious raiders. And so... To look at this, we really need to go back to the origins of um, Orion. And uh, Orion is discovered uh, by nav jumper Jonathan Rees in 2650. And in many ways, this was considered a blessing for Project Faster. Project Faster, by this point, was aging, interest had started to drop off, but this system was unique because the third planet from the sun was habitable. It had an atmosphere which we didn't need to terraform, but native animals and all the other, and it was rich plains, great for farming, and it was kind of considered this will be an awesome place to be a breadbasket for 
future expansion. Uh, the asteroid field was also rich in gold and platinum, so it was a, quite a rich area for, um, in that sense. The problem with Orion was the fact that it was so far out that it was at the end of a very long uh, logistical uh, train. And so support there was re really slow. And one of the things you'll see in in the encounter, in the first encounter with the Vandur was supplies seem to have been quite limited. Um, and I'll, but I'll get to that in a second. Now, the third planet was called uh, Armitage. Uh, I did listen to uh, Dave Haddock do his uh, Law Master's Guide to the uh, Galaxy on Orion, which is a, quite an interesting uh, listen to as well, although his pronunciation of Armitage um, took me by surprise. It certainly was not how I would have pronounced it. But uh, Armitage was so named because uh, Reese, the nav jumper, decided that it resembled Staffordshire in, on Earth. Uh, and he and he thought this this these plans promised to be a breadbasket for the empire. What followed, uh, as a result of that discovery, was a thirty-one year drive to populate this strange new rich land. Now, even though the system was settled, and even though there were some resources that were found, the system was never fully uh, surveyed. So there are elements in that system we, st we still don't know. <laughs> However, on the 9th of August, 2681, Armitage was subjected to the first of multiple raids by unknown raiders. The initial attack was relatively unnoticed. The comms with a, a communications with a water purification settlement, uh, Dell, went silent. It seems that, as I, as I said before, that supplies were uh, lacking or scarce because apparently their comms went silent and it was a couple of weeks before they went, oh, we better go check on these, these guys because the comms are silent, which gives the impression that it was a common thing for, the, for things like the communications to drop off for a while while they were getting repaired. It was only when they went to investigate they realised that something horrendous had happened. The Dell settlement was no more. All 636 people were dead, bar one who was missing. Um, the raiders had done multiple strafing runs in um, light, in small craft from multiple angles. So they've been crisscrossing the, 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 the settlement, blowing things up and, and shooting them. The raiders had landed, got out of their ships, and thoroughly went through the settlement, house to house, butchering and killing every man, woman, and child in the settlement. Every, like I said, every member of the three, 636 um, population was accounted for by one who they've never, we've never found. Um, shell casings found at the site were not human. And so this seemed to raise questions. Who, who were these raiders? They 
this added this added to the concern that this wasn't just a normal pirate raid because even though the raiders took what they wanted, they had left. At some time, they, they went into the White House and the valuables were there, but trinkets weren't. And at other places, the valuables were taken, but the trinkets were there. So it was really weird. But also what stood out and made the advocacy say, realise that this was not a normal pirate raid, was the fact that the comms station, the comms channel, that had not been specifically targeted. It still worked. And so, if it had been a regular pirate raid, that would have been the first thing they, they expected would have been wiped out. So the advocacy were perplexed. They, they reached out to the agents who were working with the Banu um, to see what they knew. But generally, we had no idea. In that first year, Armitage was raided 15 times at great cost of settlements, settlers on Orion. Now, the UAE struggled to build up a naval presence uh, due to that long logistical train. It, it took a long time to, to, build, to hastily build the infrastructure that was required to support the fleet uh, and things. But eventually, they got to the point where they were actually able to have a creditable presence. <laughs> and finally, they were able to eradicate those initial raiders. Now, Dave Haddock points out that this first um, this first group was a small clan, and the UE Navy was actually able to wipe them out completely. A second clan intact. This time, the UE Navy again was able to deal them a, a crippling blow, and they retreated. This time, we didn't destroy all of them. Dave Haddock, in his oh. review, points out that this probably drew attention to uh, drew, drew the attention of the Vanduul to uh, Orion being a place where there were people who could fight, or they could fight, which probably encouraged them to come uh, in more more um, uh, detail. But because the Vanduul had been not attending so much, not not attacking and and being you know and would been defeating him, as Paul said earlier, the UE started to believe that the Vandal weren't a threat. In fact, there was even com there was even talk about sending an expeditionary fleet out to hunt the Vandal down and destroy them, just like we had the Tavarin. All of that talk ended on the 16th of February, 2712. On that date, a massive fleet, led by the largest ship we'd seen, a king ship, entered the system from a previously uncharted jump point. And that fleet started to uh, inflict defeat after defeat upon the meagre naval forces that were in the system. The UAE, realising very quickly that we are in a no-win situation, evacuated. And there are comms of, um, of fighters escorting many uh, civilians from the system. However, Orion still has remnants of the human population who did not evacuate. There is a landing zone on Armitage uh, from the earliest days because it was a place where we could go and pick up missions and other things in terms of a game. So it is said there are still humans living on Armitage. 
they don't like the UEE because they see the UEE as having abandoned them in their hour of need. The other thing is that the Vandals attack on Armitage uh, with anti-matter weapons actually destroyed much of the planet's natural resources, uh, flora and fauna. And this may have actually had an impact on the resources the Vandal could strip from the planet, which meant they were visiting less, which is also why the humans may have survived. One interesting note, though, is that in the modern day, young, foolish, idiotic pilots who want to prove their mettle go to Orion to engage with the settlers who are still there, or the those who still live on Armitage. No, no, no. They go there to engage in a sport called blading, where you engage, where you entice and fight Vandal fighters and earn your spurs by blowing them up, or, if you're unlucky, being uh, killed by the Vandal. And that is the end of the Orion system. I like I like the story of blading because it's uh, in lore they blame it on video games. They yep. say like Arena Commander makes it look so cool, so kids go get their first Aurora, then fly it out to Orion and get killed, and it's like, what? Yes, yeah, so there is actually a um, uh, uh, in in the lore there is actually an article from the Terra Gazette um, criticizing the the whole blading uh, situation. So yes. Um, another little, little point is that when the Vandal attacked with the kingship, um, the UEE had the, the, the Bengal that had anchored the fleet was mysteriously missing. It left to go deal with a, uh, with an insurrection somewhere else in the, uh, in the UEE. And, uh, it's, it's my thought that the Vandal are not stupid. Like the UEE kind of paints them as this barbaric race of, of, mm. of nomadic, but in reality they were waiting for that, yes. the only threat to the kingship to leave, and then they st struck when they when the weak the, the fleet was at its absolute and, weakest. Yeah, and and there was um, <laughs> like if you read the law, some of the law indicates that analysts, UE analysts, believe that uh, during that lull when the when the Vandal hadn't attacked, they were watching and waiting. You know, who would have believed that at the end of the twenty eighth century? <laughs> Orion was being watched by forces immeasurably superior to ours. Dun, 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 dun. And or they the drew their baby. plans against us. Yeah. Came. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it's interesting because Orion is still like, it's still definitely a system where people will go to. You can go, you'll, it'll eventually be available for players to go to in the future. And it still has humans that live there. There's still a landing zone. Armitage still a landing zone. Yep. It's just. There, there, there are still plans, as Dave, as Dave Haddock said in the in the, the uh, guide, there are still plans for you to be able to get missions on Armitage. Mm -hmm. um, but the people don't necessarily like uh, the UEE because they see the UEE as having abandoned them. That, and yeah. they have a descendants of those who, who were left behind, whether they left by, left by choice or <laughs> this is our home, we're going to defend it. Yeah. And, um, and... and I do know there is a player, a player-led initiative. Mm -hmm. Uh, an offshoot from Operation Pitchfork, which is the um, the defenders of Orion to go and liberate Orion from from nasty evil. Um... Yeah, it's uh, also uh, uh, the backstory of Armco Morphologist mm -hmm. Org. Mm. Yeah. So, um, I, I will I, I will have to say one other thing in the Del Raid. 
there was no footage that was really found. There was one camera they found that was working. And when they when the analyst kind of checked it and cleared it and scrubbed it and, and did everything else to polish it up, there was one frame in the video that when they enhanced it and magnified it, possibly showed a picture of one of the attackers. And if you go, to, if you look at the law post on uh, the scorched earth, which was in one of the very early time capsules, there is that grainy, horrible, ghastly picture of the very first image we saw of the Vanduul. Yeah, I'll have that up on the screen for those of you who are watching this on YouTube, so you'll be able to see that. Uh, all right, yeah. I guess it's me next. Uh, I'll take the next part because um, shortly after the fall of Orion, we have the fall of Tiber, the Siege of Tiber. So similar to Orion, Tiber was discovered by Project Farstar in 2474. And similar to Orion, it really didn't have any resources somehow for some reason. Uh, and we know today that it's most likely because these regions were possibly being harvested by the Vanduul for many years. Uh, but the fact that we, you know, 2474 and, and Al, when was it that, that uh, Orion was discovered? 2650. So yeah, that, that at least as far back as, uh, you know, 200 years before first contact with the Vanduul, these systems had been left to, like fallow almost so that they could mm. come back eventually and, 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 and consume them. But there were no resources, no exotic resources, didn't have any strategic jump points. And as a result, it was a very, lightly populated system. Not a lot of people lived there. It wasn't very strategically valuable. Think of it as similar to something like uh, Pyro before the gangs took over. No one really cared about it. You know, it's, it's difficult to live there and there's no real, no real desire to go there. So not really many people left. I was going to say, think of it like Tasmania. No one yeah, that works there. too. No one remembers it. <laughs> we even forget to put it on the, you know, most people forget to draw it on the map. So, you know. Shout out to Execute. <laughs> uh or or like the the remote regions of canada you know people forget that you you know northern canada is still populated but it's got you know very difficult to live there um so as a result didn't develop very well however eventually there were some smaller mining consortiums that went there because uh, they wanted to get some the, the cheap land and and get some rights so eventually it's, it started to grow uh, but mostly it was just a stopover, especially uh, for those heading to Orion. As Orion began to develop, it was discovered and began to, to, to develop. But in the 27th century, when the Vanduul clans began to attack Orion, uh, Tiber became the staging grounds for the defense and, and dealing with the Vanduul assaults on Orion. So uh, as it was this fallback recoup area, when Orion, when uh, Orion fell, it became the, the new front lines. Uh, so around, uh, well, what was, at the time, what people were worried about was that after Orion fell, that they were afraid that the Vanduul would come directly after and just continue to chase them out of the system, similar to, say, how they ex expected the Tavarin or the Jian to respond to an attack. But they were surprised when it didn't happen. 
And as a result, the UE was allowed to lick its wounds, try to rebuild its up its forces in Orion, and simply watched and saw saw uh, what was happening to Orion as they were trying to defend themselves. But nothing really happened. But on February fourth, twenty seven twenty six, a Vandal blade was spotted in the system. This scared everyone. Fighters were scrambled to go intercept it, but by the time the fighters got to the region where the blade had been spotted, it had disappeared. Soon after, Vanduul began to appear in increasing numbers, and by the end of the year, small clan raids were happening with erratic frequency, very similar to the attacks on Orion. It was an almost play-by-play recreation of the attacks that happened in Orion, though happening faster now that the Vanduul knew who they were dealing with. Uh, And... Finally, on April 19th, 2732, a large Vandal clan entered Tiber and attacked UEE forces, monitoring the immediate area around the jump. And then slowly, smaller clans would follow afterwards. And uh, at that point, the UEE forces were overwhelmed, they fled, and they ceded control of the Tiber Orion jump point to the Vandal. And this is the beginning of the Siege of Tiber, which would last from 2732 to 2736 for four years of constant conflict. Once the Vanduul had officially began their invasion of of, uh, Tiber, um, the High Command assigned uh, Grand Admiral Tesca Halamede. Now, Halamede was a controversial choice because he was not a battlefield general. He was what they called a classroom commander. He had lots of knowledge on the technicalities of how to command a conflict, but he was not a soldier. He had not fought in any wars. He had not helped the Orion. He was a, uh, a books guy. Um, but he did have extensive knowledge and had studied the Vanduul tactics extensively. He was probably one of the most, ext- like, most well researched commanders on the conflict, on how the Vanduul fought. Uh, So the first thing he did is he tripled the number of troops guarding the jumps to Virgil and Oberon. Uh, And then he docked his ship, the UES uh, Aquilon, at the system's largest shipyard. We don't know what class or size the uh, the Aquilon is, uh, I was going to ask Jail about this because I know Jail tends to know more about these these uh, these setups. What is based off the name? What do you think the what what what, what it is? Because we're talking about like towards the beginnings of the um, the javelin run, but after but before the 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 Bengals were being created. Yeah, I think the Aklon. I declined to guess. <laughs> um it's if anything maybe maybe sort of pegasus class or something similar to that in that it sounds like it's maybe to do with um you know like an aquila uh in like the roman army and mm-hmm. the pegasus uh class they, we've got the pegasus and the chimera animals from antiquity um yeah. but yeah i wouldn't be able to, to fully wouldn't be able to guess yeah yeah as it is unfortunately this is a constant thing in, in the lore is that CIG will name things and then they'll just not tell us what classes their ship was because often if 
especially if it's very, very long in the past. Like this is, you know, almost mm. 200 years ago in, in current lore. Um, the ships that we have now, not many of them are actually like we're actually around that area. So especially comp like um, uh, military ships. So mm. uh, as a result, uh, CSG will... We'll drop a name, but they won't tell us exactly what class it is or what type it is. Also part of that twelve-inch paintbrushing, isn't it? Yeah, we, we give the broad strokes, but we don't do in the minor detail because if we do the minor detail, it means we can't actually fix it up yeah. later on yeah. or, or yeah. add some to... details once we know what's going on. So they deliberately are, are broad in in their approach, but but yeah, yeah. I'm not sure I it would have, have been a... a Pegasus though because um I I got the impression the RSI Pegasus was a fairly new light. Uh, yeah. carrier that we brought in fairly fairly late so um but was it a, was it a destroyer or was it a was it a carrier type ship mm -hmm. is yeah yeah i mean if, it, if not a pegasus maybe something that came before i was actually just doing a bit quick googling aquilon actually just means the northeast wind and i don't think that there's any other wind themed ship so probably something that yeah if, if we if we're assuming that there is consistent naming it's probably something that predates uh, some ship that predates uh what we have now you're gonna say something uh keenan well actually i was gonna kind of change the topic back to something that you had said in the when you were talking about this battle but it seems like mm -hmm. a lot of these battles take place over several years mm -hmm. um and something that I always wonder when I hear this is like, what are civilians doing during this time? Are they looking at impending doom crawling towards them or are they getting the heck out of the system? It depends. Some of them are sticking around. Some of them are leaving, but a lot of them are staying um, because you got to remember that these Why raids stay? are, well, they're, they're, they're infrequent. Like, you, you, you know, you might have a raid that happens once a year, but the local planetary defenses just, just swat it down like nothing because it's a small clan of like 15 Vandul. And, but we've seen the pattern by that yeah. point right like but sort of if you if you look back at human history though keenan you look at the uh, viking raids in england why did the people the anglo-saxons not leave the areas where the vikings were raiding they knew they were happening with uh increased frequency and yet it's then the vikings had come and they'd raid and take people i guess and, you know and i and, guess it's easy to lose perspective of how isolated people are in their various star systems. Cause we, you know, mm -hmm. in star citizen, we go everywhere all the time, whenever we want, yeah. you know, it's like, Hey, why don't you just get in your ship and find a jump point and get out of there? Yeah. But I, it's I, in, yeah. in lore, it's an actual life and, and I, everything. So, yeah. And I think you got to remember it was part of project Fastar where people were being given the uh, encouragement to leave those crowded situations on earth and go to this new place where you had land and, privilege and property and mm -hmm. you know the chance to make a new life and in in some cases you know it would be, would be like emigrating to a new country you 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 go there and then you realize oh crap this place sucks but you've no longer got the funds to go back so you're kind of stuck there yeah, yeah. um and, and that that raises the question why did so many people stay you know why would why did people remain in or on orion was it mm -hmm. Was it they couldn't leave? Was it they were just stubborn and didn't want to leave? Was it a mix of everything? Because there were people who did leave, um, mm -hmm. but there were others who stayed and are still there. Uh, all right, let's continue on with this one. So uh, basically, uh, everything is, um, is, is mounting 
Um, but the one thing that happened quite quickly, quite quickly, was that the uh, uh, Aqualon was stuck in INS um, Anine. I guess that's how you say it. Anine. Um, Anine. Uh, a N I E E or A I A N I E N E. Um, so, but it, which is, uh, you know, we've seen INS Jericho, similar concept, a, 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 a fleet shipyard designed to hold military vessels. Um, and this was designed to specifically defend the jump point to Virgil. But he kept all of his big ships docked. He would use guerrilla tactics, sending out fighters and fighter squadrons to go out and chase down uh, Vandal or, or, or try to deter Vandals. But he often said, discretion is best fighter fowler, don't engage. Don't get yourself killed. Spot, come back, do not attack unless you have overwhelming, overwhelming, overwhelming forces. And the uh, policy was highly critical, highly criticized. It was called the run, don't gun policy by many in the in the military. Uh, and while he defended, he's like, hey, I've saved Starman's lives. I've saved, you know, thousands of, of, of our military's lives, our valuable lives who have trained personnel, <laughs> um, you know. But the Vandal were slowly beginning to gain ground their their control regions of of space effectively on their own um and there was a reason behind uh Admiral Admiral Halamede's reasons for, like why he was reluctant to engage because he thought that you could still negotiate with the Vanduul he said specifically what I need is intelligence and time to figure out how to reach them, the Vanduul. If we fully commit to war, then total war is the only path forward. That was his quote. So he believed earnestly that peace was still an option with the Vanduul. And you can see that from the perspective of an admiral, especially someone who is a, a educated man, someone who had gone through the the war colleges and probably studied the the, the, the follies of the Tavaran Wars, and probably knew that, like, the best option is to try to peace, to, to, to negotiate peace rather than go straight to war. Um, but he still didn't fully grasp the Vanduul. This just kind of gives you the idea of, like, just how little we actually really knew about the Vanduul at the time. We knew their patterns. We knew that they attacked in clans. But at this point, we still called them clans when we would later discover, in which we won't talk about here, but later we the, the discovered they're less clans in terms of sociological clans and more of a horde versus a clan. And we were only starting to, to piece some of this stuff together at this point. Uh, but eventually, by the mid-2730, uh, Tiber II had become a fierce battleground with various clans vying for control um, to control space stations and established outposts. So... The thing that you have to understand about the Vanduul is that it, is that when they once they conquer a region, they will fight amongst each other to hold on to that region. So larger clans will push smaller clans out of a region, and then uh, smaller clans will go to somewhere else to try to control those little regions. And they're not a unified force. This is not a massive group. We're talking about and uh, the the invasion of Tiber probably had dozens, if not hundreds, of clans involved. Some big, some small, some medium, depending on their the the, the scale and scope. 
But in early 2734, the Vanduul began pushing more aggressively on Tiber II, and vids of Vanduul harvesters chewing through Tiber II made it to Spectrum, causing stirs throughout the Empire. Now, this is a quote from 20, 2801, so this is well after the, the fall of Tiber. But this gives you a context of what was seen. This is a quote from an anonymous miner who was who actually uh, ignored the military order to like not go to Tiber um, on what he saw. I'd never seen anything like it. These machines, if you can call them that, chewing up bodies and ships. It was horrifying. The sound they made, the gnashing of metal and the whir of blades. You could feel it under your skin. I hope to never hear it again. But this meant that the Admiral could no longer sit on his hands. It was, the, these sorts of images are being um, being displayed. And to give you a reference, it would be like watching people get fed to a thresher, to, to, a, to a wood chipper, like watching people in whole cities get consumed by a giant wood chipper. This is a horrifying, you know, like Lovecraftian nightmare kind of scenario that people were seeing. But also, when you look at Halamede, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, his strategy and the way he was doing his guerrilla-type tactics uh, did work in terms of attacking those uh, harvester-type vessels. And that was being successful in kind of setting them back and, and preventing them. But it was almost like there was um, just that never-ending flood or never-ending horde of uh, vandal just coming through and... You know, you kill one and five more replace them. Yeah. And that war of attrition was just a situation which we couldn't win. He was holding back too much still. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was he was doing guerrilla type tactics, but he would he would hold back too much forces to actually make a, a, a significant change. Uh, so fearing his political grasp of the situation was being lost. Uh, Grand Admiral Halmid finally decided that he was going to, to do something. So he deployed the Aqualon and a large contingent of forces near the planet. The Vandal clans, clamoring for a fight, eagerly launched into a clash at the large fleet. This left Vandal encampments lightly guarded and allowed the UE strike teams to carry out uh, aerial bombardments that devastated most of them. So this massive fleet comes in, draws the Vandal out. We're all looking for a fight. So they all, all these different clans converge on the big fleet. And while this is happening, bombers swoop in and, you know, retaliators swoop in and just level any any uh, defenses that these uh, Vanduuls, that the Vanduul had set up and any kind of the facilities that they had uh, taken over, they would destroy. Uh, now, even though the clans were devastated by these aerial bombard bombardments and many of them uh, fled the system, these clans that had been, were attacked, well, you know, they were kind of had their pants down. This would push more to come into the system because now there was more of an option. Oh, this clan left. We're going to come in and replace them. Um, now we have a chance of getting some stuff. Uh, and so Vandal numbers were actually increased after this, uh, after the bombardments of Tiber II. And while his, um, uh, while he tried to continue the success of, of this initial engagement of pushing back these clans, um, he, he used uh, ship decoys as bait, uh, to, to bait clans into chasing them around the system. All wall strike teams would expose, um, tar hit tar targets disposed by the distraction and he gathered more intelligence and battle tactics. All of these things, basically we learned how to fight the Vanduul because of Grand Admiral Halmid. He 
wanted to figure out how to fight them. He wanted to really learn their tactics, their how they plan, how they plan, how they interact. And we started to implement new tactics as a result, and that was successful. The problem was, was that the that the navy just did not have enough forces in the system. Constant more flooding of of Vanduul were coming in. Um, but finally, in November twenty uh, November of twenty seven thirty five, naval intelligence received word that a large Vandal clan amassing in an unexpected part of the system, and Halamid gathered a small force around the UEE's Aquilon and went to assess the situation personally. He went to go recon the situation. He discovered that the Vanduul were pouring through a previously unknown jump point to a system that we now call Vector. No one has been to Vector. We just know it exists. Uh, it's around the same area where that original blade that we talked, I talked about at the very beginning, where it disappeared from, where it, dis where it appeared and disappeared from. Uh, moments after showing up at the system, after coming out of Quantum, the recon team was discovered and ambushed. And they the Vandal forces destroyed the UES, UES uh, Echelon, killing everyone on board, including Halamid. And the few surviving ships limped back to, to INS uh, Enine. Now, with this, the second-in-command, um, or with the loss of Halamid, a new uh, commander was appointed, Admiral Mira Trilo, uh, Triolo. Uh, she was a did not like Halamid's cautious approach to the conflict and preferred a more blunt, hit-him-with-a-sledgehammer approach. And... Uh, she massed her forces into a huge fleet and went straight towards the, 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 the new big Vandal clan to just smash into it as hard as possible. Um, and the first major encounter resulted in the loss of thousands of Starmen and three capital-class ships. Uh, but she continued to directly and decisively move in and fight, um, which... Uh, would cause her to lose more troops. So as a result, she pulled forces from Virgil to replace her losses. Again, all this time, more conflict is drawing more clans to come in. More clans are coming in and bigger clans are replacing them. Uh, and in 2736, the war for Tiber reached a fevered pitch when Gaylor Messer himself ordered a massive campaign of aerial bombardment on Tiber II. This is, it's unknown if there's been references to antimatter bombs being used by this point, um, and it's likely this is when it was first used, where Kyber 2 was effectively glassed, bombarded with antimatter weapons to make the surface unlivable. Um, it, today, it's known as Tomb for that reason. Kyber 2's name is Tomb because it's it's literally a tomb. The, the Mezzers just effectively nuked the planet to death. Um, in an attempt to slow down the, the Vandal, to deny the Vandal any resources from Tiber II. Um, then on December 29th, 2736, a Vandal kingship arrived in Orion. Uh, with, with what we now, at that time, we are they now know as the one of the largest and oldest clans um, that has ever been documented, showed up and attacked INS Anin and broke the back of the forces defending it. While they did put up a valiant fight, half of all of the Navy, Navy, naval forces in the system were lost and the naval line broken and the ships routed. 
pulling back. Admiral uh, Trillo uh, ordered the Navy the forces to fall back to Virgil, and they hoped that by falling back to Virgil that they would have time to lick their wounds because the Vandal had done that with Orion. They'd attacked, they'd conquered a system, they'd wait for gather more forces and continue again. However, this time was different. As the UEE poured back out, the Vandal followed them. And with that, I'm going to leave it up to uh, to, to jail. But before that, if there would be any kind of discussion or anything like that on this. That it's a great like story. A failure. Uh, that, what's that, Keenan? Yeah. It just sounded like a failure. I mean, it, it is yeah. a great story. I, I enjoyed listening to it, but it sounds like we really fumbled in Tiber. Oh, yeah. We fumbled uh, whenever we encountered Vandal. I think that was the problem. It's it's important to note that these because like this is actually a fairly very recent lore. This all of this detail came out in the last couple of months, um, but it's important to detail just to show how badly we failed with the Vandal. We just constantly failed. We've constantly lost to them. So, like now that we I, see the Vandal War in full swing, you kind of can get the context of just why we had to go to full war readiness. Why all of the UE Navy forces are being pulled out of places like Stanton and other places in the Empire to go throw them at the Vanduul because they know that once this starts going, the Vanduul are not going to just die. There's going, we'll probably have more forces than we've ever seen before show up because of, you know, they see a big force, they're ready for a fight, they're going to come in guns blazing. And it's hard to and break I think the back really, off of them. Go ahead, sorry. That really plays into the, the Vanduul culture that we've learned. The, the Vandor culture with these clans, it's the clans are drawn, they're drawn to fight. And so your clan gets prestige by how well it fights and how victorious it is. And so, you know, with a, a small clan, you beat that small clan up, you've got prestige. And in a sense, they almost, it's almost as if they see the UEE Navy or the, the forces that are on a planet as um, a clan that can, they can either fight and beat or be beaten by. And so you beat them. That makes a that makes a bigger clanker. Ooh, ooh, there's a challenge yeah. here. Let's go and and so there's that constant drawing in. And so unless we can, you almost want to wipe them out. Yeah. And, and out attrition them, you you're up the creek. Um, I think an interesting thing that they've really written into the Vandal there is that without doing anything um, supernatural with it, they've kind of created a zombie plague. In that, or it's similar, like with the Borg in Star Trek, or with the Orcs in Warhammer Forty K. The harder you fight them, the more of them there are to fight. It's not like a human error enemy when you when you yeah. beat them, they will go. It's it's if you beat them, more will come. The best prize you'll get for defeating someone is to defeat the even bigger guy behind him, and that's just a terrifying thing for us to face. There are there are space invaders game. It just you know the, the levels just keep getting more and more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and and we don't have this the two liter of Shasta Cola and and uh, an all rush mix mixtape, so we can't can't quite beat them yet. Uh, all right. Uh, the one thing I will say is that this also shows that the Vandal learn. Like they didn't yeah. attack after Orion because they didn't they didn't really know the UE, but after the conquest of Tiber they learned they knew strike again because if we try to do this this whole pattern again they're just going to come back and hit us harder again so just keep pushing them and break them um especially since we know that this is the the one that that attacked and sacked this the the last stand was uh the oldest and most senior vandal clan that we've ever encountered um it that tells us that this is the most powerful group of, of vandal that exists 
So with that, Jail, tell us about the fall of Virgil. Lovely. So it's easy to dismiss Virgil as a short and brutal coda to the many years campaigns across Iran and Tiber. After all, the result is the same. You're left with just a blasted former human system uh, in the wake of a Vandal invasion. However, Virgil's special. Virgil means more. And to understand that, we need to understand the place that that system held in the mind of the Empire. So Virgil had been discovered way back in 2412 and was the 10th habitable system that humanity discovered. At the time, humanity's reach was spread across two branches, and Virgil was a part of this branch that included the thriving colonies of Vega and Caliban, and the less important ones of Oberon and Null, uh, which to this day aren't even claimed by the UEE. So when Virgil was discovered, it had been almost 50 years since the last discovery of a new system uh, in 2365 with Centauri. And then in 2380, humanity had taken this monumental step of unifying into the United Nations of Earth, and they had a little civil war over it. So that reorganization into UNE had already led to huge pushes in off-world colonization and the beginning of what would be called the human colonial expansion era. But Virgil was important because it was the first system that unified humanity had ever discovered. Also, fortunately, Virgil 1 happened to be an ideal candidate for terraformation, so it was an ideal opportunity to show how far along that technology had come. So a real kind of like case study and like, oh great, you know, this is the first real UNE system and it's going to be a really quick, easy one to win. Uh, and it was just this beautiful, verdant place that they could uh, they could inhabit. So we've been mentioning how um, Orion and Tiber were discovered because of Project Farstar. Project Farstar was started because of the discovery of Virgil. Um, because they were saying, yeah, let's get more of these, more systems like this. And this it really kicked off this this era of expansion into high gear. So Virgil would grow into both a thriving colony in its own right, but also would be this gateway to this frontier that it had unlocked. It's also implied to be a little bit more socially conservative, though, because um, seeing this is uh, near Alien Week, it's a great quote. An early governor uh, reacted to Alien First Contact by saying, I'm reassured that I'm here with my own kind, far away from whatever alien shenanigans they got going on. So not exactly like the most forward thinking in some other respects. So fast forward 300 years, uh, height of the mess era, Virgil's this powerful old system in the empire, one of the gems of what is termed like the Western Empire. It's got an extensive agriculture industry and it's got great natural beauty. It's a popular tourist location. People come to see these massive trees and beautiful uh, landscapes. Then two jumps away, Orion falls. And suddenly Virgil goes from being the safe core planet to the back lines of the siege that was being fought in the front lines of the Tiber system. So now these natural ones of the planet are sometimes some the neighbours to antimatter stockpiles and repair facilities. So Virgil's fate was obviously tied to Tiber, and as Paul just described, that was a grinding four-year siege ending with this retreat into Virgil. And the UE had really poured everything they had into Tiber. And as I say, this wasn't a mistake necessarily because they thought, having learned from Orion, that they weren't necessarily going to have to defend themselves on that retreat, that the Vandal would take over Tiber and just stop, start infighting for a bit before they consolidated. But they were wrong. And either the clan that attacked Tiber had other ideas or had learned from their mistake. Um, so it was just days after the last UE ship pulled out of Tiber 
that the Vandal poured into Virgil and set upon the remaining wounded UEN ships and the barely defended colonies of Virgil, uh, slaughtering every soul they could touch. So the push might have also been the result of the state type was left in, because at the end it was this blasted, depopulated wreck. Uh, and it had never been that developed to begin with, but Virgil had been left essentially untouched and was still heavily populated. So it was this really desirable prize for the Vandal. They fell upon Virgil 1, bombing indiscriminately in a manner that seemed to have no strategic value beyond chaos and cruelty, and setting harvesters upon the still populated planet. These, as uh, Paul described them, Lovecraftian machines that were like a thresher. So of many of those who survived the bombardment, many died being ground up into this nutrient slurry by those infernal machines. One image from the fall of Virgil that's burned into the collective memory of humanity is a photograph of the charred remains of an imperial customs house, its wrecked white pillars against the smoking coal-black sky. And on the board outside that proclaims the exports of the town or the planet, someone has just scrawled the word death. And that image has featured in UEU propaganda ever since the fall. So just to take a step back and contextualizing that, if Orion was like this distant frontier, so like to to America, maybe like it's Alaska, and then Tiber was sort of these depopulated or less populated sort of Canadian uh, Northern Territories, or maybe a big battle in the Pacific, losing Virgil's like an invasion on the Western seaboard. It's It's striking at the real kind of homelands and what's perceived as the homelands. Now, it's not just a tale of just complete wanton destruction. There are some tales of heroism, and particularly Squadron 214, aka the Black Crows. Uh, so this is a multi-level force applicator squadron in the Navy parlance, which really means that it's um, a group of different types of ships that have uh, sort of multi-role capabilities. And they earn their place in history during the hasty evacuation of Virgil 1. Um, they're mostly famous for the uh, uh, Bravo flights, which is their group of elite gladiator bombers. And they'd already made a name for themselves taking out a harvester a few years earlier. Uh, during the evacuation of Virgil 1, they ran these continuous screening missions to defend civilians fleeing the planet and are credited with rescuing over a million refugees that all came back then to Vega. Um, so as I said at the start, this was... It was a short, brutal code as the Vandal push of the 2700s, and Virgil was just left completely destroyed. It's once a verdant field, just a barren wasteland, and it ended up in a perpetual nuclear winter from all this bombing. Um, the UE spies who visited later reported that all that was left standing were these trees that had once been so beloved, and it was even suggested that the Vandal had left those trees there to sort of taunt us of what we'd lost. Now, there's one last story about Virgil that I think is relevant because it links into this, which becomes uh, centuries later. So Squadron 214, the Black Crows, had remained posted in Vega uh, to defend against further Vandal incursion. And indeed, Aramis, Vega 2, is, um, which would later be attacked um, much, much later, was actually populated largely by um, refugees from Virgil. So on the morning of August 9th, 2932, they detected a an unexpected distress signal from within the Virgil system that had been relayed by the early warning radars. Admiral Bonds, who commanded the division, requested permission to investigate, but since it was practically inconceivable that there'd be a human pilot out there, 
uh, Navy High Command denied the request. However, the rank and file would not swallow that decision. Either a pilot was out there and was in need, or there was a chance to settle a score. So the flight leader, Tam Thaxton, launched six of the Bravo flight gladiators configured in a lower missions uh, manner and equipped with search and rescue equipment. And he'd um, set a message to send after they'd, um, they'd left, which simply said, we won't forget. So they're, and they're, um, while there were opportunities for other UEE forces to intercept them and stop them, their disobedience was clearly infectious as uh, nobody got in their way as they flew towards the jump point. The Black Crows of Bravo flight uh, knew that they were heading into a dangerous situation and there was a 55% predicted chance of an ongoing Vandal presence, according to uh, their observations. So they did try to approach uh, Virgil 1, where the signal was coming from, uh, in a longer route, but unfortunately ran straight into Forsyth's and their command ship. Uh, there was a skirmish ensued, and one gladiator and its pilot were lost, with the uh, gunner aboard um, managing to make a combat EVA and get picked up by one of the other gladiators that was equipped for search and rescue. And eventually they got down to Virgil 1, and found this in the found the signal in the equatorial region. Um, it was a crashed wildcat fighter model we don't use anymore, which was from the original battle of, for Virgil, so uh, centuries earlier. There was a long dead pilot in Black Crow's uniform, and it was later estimated that the signal might have been reactivated by a nearby lightning strike. Um, so they buried their brother in arms. They kept his dog tags to return to the naval. Uh, Commander Killian and retrieve the flight recorder. Um, they returned feeling ashamed. Essentially, they thought that they'd lost they'd lost a brother um, in the supposed rescue effort. They had recovered so little, and they'd mutinied essentially. But what they didn't expect was when they came back, the news of this distress signal had uh, got out past the navy, and the public opinion was so strongly on their side um, that they essentially were hailed as heroes. And not only that, but the flight recorder they recovered um, told a, essentially a lost story of part of their original unit that had stayed behind to, as a suicide mission to, again, protect the retreat of these refugees. So, again, it really take, took, um, you know, their actions centuries before had put them in history. This really put them into, into legend. Uh, so that was called the uh, Virgil Raid, and that um, last year all the ship manufacturers uh, dedicated their presentations to particular squadrons, and um, Anvil dedicated theirs to uh, Squadron Two One Four for this action. Um, and I think that that also probably ties into that declaration of war that we have in the the twenty nine fifties because. It reminded people of what was lost, reminded people of of what the Vandal represented as an existential threat in the lead up to them then attacking Vega. So, and um, yeah, I think it's, it is, although it's a very short chapter at the end of these many years in Orion and the four years in Tiber, it's really only a few weeks probably in, in Virgil. That's the damage that really resonated with um, with your, your average UE citizen. Yeah. Uh, I always like the Black Crows. They, to me, they always 
they always feel like the the unsung heroes where it's like squadron 42 gets all the glory because um based off of what i understand the black heroes were formed right before the, the battle of orion and they had a really good like they were really good a, a really good record that's why they called the crows mm-hmm. because they would not not shut up they would keep crowing yeah so they the 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 the, the the, their mechanics painted painted crows on the side has been like you stop calling as a joke but it kind of became their symbol and um uh you know i was looking up as you're talking i looked up their their so i remember 12 went in which is the big one that they remember for before the, mm-hmm. the raid and i forgot that it was it was labeled as a raid on um on a harvester drop ship in 2720 which would put it which puts it in a weird place this is like star citizen weird dates it's kind of yeah off. That would put it after the fall of Orion, but before the fall of Tiber. So, but it obviously it's like the one thing that I always, I always like about the squadron 214 is that they are kind of like the black, the black sheep of, of squadrons. I mean, they're obviously in reference to the black sheep squadron from world war two, which was squadron 214 uh, Marines. Uh, and uh, I think it was Marines might be Navy. I'm, I'm, I made someone angry. <laughs> that comment. Um, but they always lose. Like they're they're they like do all these great things. They do all these amazing kind of like like actions. These impossible last stands, but they never win. It's always like last ditch effort to to save civilians. It's always attacking a harvester, but on a planet that's 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 doomed to be lost. Finding a dead comrade, you know, after losing like it's always that kind of. They can never win, but they always seem to like fight harder for it and and I, that's uh, you gotta you gotta like an underdog squadron um especially with virgil like virgil as you as you said is it's so hard to explain that like virgil losing virgil was like losing san francisco or <clears throat> seattle or la that's how that's how like much of a punch in the gut that was you know it's like oh yeah there's some there's some raids going on in 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 you know anchorage whatever we'll send some forces out there to deal with it Oh no! Now there's some raids going on in the Pacific Ocean. Ah, uh, you know, yeah, whatever. Uh, oh no, they're 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 in San Francisco. They're they're ro- ro- uh, ro- rolling across the Golden Gate Bridge and and you know bombing. The, yeah, the know. the U.S. Army is nuking San Francisco to help stop their advance. You know, yeah. it's it's that much. Doesn't bear thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. As you were uh, talking, Paul, um, and talking about the harvesters. It really did make me think of War of the Worlds. And I know I kind of did that, kind of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. watching us from afar, who would have believed. And yet, when you when you certainly listen to the audio version of War of the Worlds, you get that impression of these harvesters that are going around picking up people and just munching them and, and, and doing whatever else they do. And that's the impression you get of of the Vanduul when they're, when they're harvesting. It's just, they don't care. It's just, yep, yeah, we're... we're Humans are just almost a nutrient, just a slurry, something to add to the slurry that they're using. Or um, we still don't know what happened to that first that first farmer who who uh, wasn't accounted for among the dead of of Dell. It's believed, you know, initially it was thought he may have been in on it as as, a, as one of the raiders who set it up, but it, it seems that he was probably taken as a prisoner by the Vanduul and. Um, either became lunch or um, was subjected to many nasty uh, interrogations and to find out more that they could about humanity. So 
but yeah, I got that impression that it was a very much War of a World alieny type uh, things. And it strikes me, even after we've got you know Oro, um, even though we've got um, Orion and Tiber and Virgil, we've still got idiots in the UAE who say let's let's talk to them, let's be peaceful. Mm -hmm. And yes, I'm pointing directly at Addison Lalani, who is also one of those idiots who want to talk to the Vandul. And you guys, you morons, you idiots in the community, voted for her because she was all AI. Good one, guys. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Well, with that, let's let's talk about a little bit later because uh, I'll fill in the, in in the gaps because effectively by the time Virgil fell, when when did Virgil fall finally there, Jail? What year was it? It was it was January of twenty seven thirty six. So we're talking was like, the... yeah, go ahead. So yeah, that yeah. Is... It... Go on, Joe. Go ahead. I was going to say so that is. Virgil falls twenty uh, January twenty seven thirty six. Orion fell February twenty seven twelve. Yeah. So in a span of like twenty years or so. Yeah. Or twenty five years, we've lost three systems. That yeah. is horrendous, and one of them is, as we said, the core, the heartland. Yeah, and and, and we know that Gaylor Messer was ousted because of the, 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 just how badly the Vandal Wars were going. Like that's how bad the Vandal Wars were going. An Imperator was basically assassinated because of how bad things were going. And it brings Ulysses Messer into power um, to try to stabilize the situation. We've already done a whole thing on the fall, the failure of the Ulysses Messer and the, the end of the Messers and in a different Lore, Lore Citizen episode. So go listen to that one if you want to. But that kind of gives you context is that we're, we don't see much van, many Vandal raids after Virgil. As far as we know, we, there, there are definitely some raids, but there's no real push. There's no more, real more invasions until after the fall of the Messers. Measures fall, the, a new uh, new UEE rises, and um, everything seems to be going better until we start to see the Vandal start to push back again, start to re reform and re kind of move into the. Uh, uh, to human space. And with that, I'll let Keenan explain a little bit about the about Caliban. Caliban. So y'all might need to fill in some gaps here. There wasn't too much information on this, but uh, Caliban is kind of similar to Virgil in that it was a pretty quick conflict and it, it took place quite a while after all of this stuff. So as Paul said, the masters had fallen. Um, we're at the end of the 29th century, so it's uh, 2884, July 7th. And also, like you all mentioned uh, previously, the, the Vandal at this point had learned kind of better tactics against us, and they didn't piddle-paddle around with any raids or anything like that. The clan came in, led by a kingship, and flew immediately to Caliban too, known as Creon, um, and laid waste. Now, there really wasn't too much infrastructure, rather uh, naval presence there to defend. So once again, uh, the forces that were there were forced to make the best of the situation. This was actually in large part the 88th Navy Logistic Support Squadron. So they weren't necessarily your, your first people to call on to go up against a, 
a Vanduul King ship, but uh, they were the only ones there. They were called to the cause, and they actually held the Vanduul off for two days. Um, this allowed a lot of the population to escape, and generally, you know, it was just it, it was decent for morale. Holding your own against a Vanduul King ship as a logistics squadron is saying a lot. Um, but of course, just like all these other stories, it was inevitable. The Vanduul continued to overwhelm, and even after reinforcements showed up three days later, uh, it only took a, a little over two weeks from the initial, um, the initial visual on the Vanduul before the Caliban system was completely lost. Now, a couple interesting things. The 88th Squadron was basically decimated. Only one person survived from the squadron, and uh, the squadron earned the nickname the Lost Squad. This was also the the last time that we got to see a kingship. And for those who don't know, the Vanduul kingships are not just any ship. They are they're like they're they're mad. They're, it's ridiculous how big they are. Um, this was the last time we saw one for about fifty years before the formal war against the Vanduul. After hundreds of years, finally began. So this is almost it, it's not. It's not the straw that broke the camel's back, but this is like definitely the lead up to a formal war. Um, and one of the ships, fun fact, that was there to help protect as reinforcements against the Vanduul in this conflict was actually the um, uh, UEEN Warhammer, which is a Javelin destroyer, I believe, and also the same Javelin that has fought Xenothreat in Stanton over the last couple of years, and the same Javelin that uh, players are able to go and tour at Invictus Week parades. So it doesn't add to the lore too much, but I, it, it's something that I really appreciate seeing something from lore being included in the game to kind of ground the conflicts and give players more, more context. But this one is more short and sweet. And like I said, I'd, I'd love to hear more details if I missed them, but this was the main, really, the gist of the story and the loss of Caliban. And if you look on the map, Caliban... Uh, only has two systems in between it and our home, uh, literally Earth, and that is Null and Croshaw. So once the Vanduul took this system, they were three jumps away from taking out our capital. It was, I, I didn't read too much about how this was um, perceived by humanity, but from what I'm seeing, this looks like a pretty big step back for them. Uh, just for, for reference, it was discovered in 2341. This is pre-UNE. Um, or it was post-UNE. Not fairly, fairly shortly. It's, it's around the same time as Virgil, wasn't it? When was Virgil discovered? It was, it was quite a bit earlier, actually. So, um, yeah, it, it was it was one of the the worlds that was still discovered when we were still acting as nations. So, um, I don't know exactly which we we don't know much about its discovery beyond well there's there's some some little lore about it um yeah it was 2341 it was discovered yeah so that's that's 40 years before humanity formed the UNE which is the proto to the UE it's one of the first systems humanity has ever discovered so yeah. like the fall of Caliban is if if Virgil's like losing San Francisco Caliban is like losing Dallas <laughs> or or atlanta like yeah <laughs> yeah it was it was home to several million people so 
I mean, you know, for something that's been around hundreds of years, it's, it wasn't exactly like a, you know, it's not like a terror. It's not no. like a, a, an art corp. It, it had a few million people living there, and most of the planets had already been mined out. But still, yeah, part of the part of the sort of heartlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, to give you also to give some context of how recent this was. The admiral who was first in charge with the defense of the Stanton system when Stanton was first discovered, her parents fled the fall of Caliban. She was born on Caliban. Um, so, and that was only 50 years ago in, in Star Citizen lore. So Caliban is very, very, very recently. Um, you know, is when when uh when uh in terms of the the context for its control and uh, uh, its emergence as as a huge force, uh, as huge huge uh, its loss is a huge huge blow. So, and and yet, uh, Caliban also raises this great problem that we had: uh, the last commander of the Lost Squad, the eighty eighth, spent most of her time. Uh, trying to requisition resources to actually maintain and upgrade the aging and rundown early warning systems. And it's believed that it was part of this uh, lack of infrastructure in this home world, this of these early warning systems that enabled the um, the Vandal to to come in undetected and cause so much grief and havoc. Um, so yeah, it it just raises that whole it, it, it in a sense it, it, it all, to me it almost seems like it, it elevates the eighty eight squadron even more. Mm-hmm. They were not only a force that was not even suited to fighting a kingship. They were fight, they were a force that was fighting in a system, but didn't even have the infrastructure really to support their fight against this kingship. Um, as it reminds me of, um, uh, you, you may appreciate this, Paul. Uh, when I was when I was in um, in Texas and at San Antonio, um, I did pick up a, a book called Seven Days of Glory, and the story of the eighty-eight is almost two days of glory. It's kind of the Alamo type fighting odds that are totally beyond your your ability. You know you're going to lose. You know you're up against it. And yet you keep going, There's, and it, it kind of has that kind of element for it, at least from my perspective. Yeah, it's it is. I, I was, yeah. I was. Go ahead. I was going to say, and yeah, this is only about as far far ago as as the Vietnam War is to us. It's still something that you would know people how we are fought in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people people who are alive today fought in it. There are people who were serving on the Warhammer while it was in, in, in during Xenothreat who fought that in the Battle of Caliban. Uh, in fact, there's a little plaque in the on the if you you, you toured the Warhammer where they said that they fired their guns so often during the during the fall of Caliban that it overheated the uh, the guns. Uh, one gunner said that you your the sweat was sizzling as it came off their their brows. They're firing so much the size sevens. Yeah. Forgot to mention that this is it, a, a battle that taught actually the military a better way of, of manufacturing and maintaining these guns so that they weren't it, overheating. 
it did result in a, as a result of that battle, as as Kena just pointed out, it resulted in the Navy making adjustments to the uh, third flight of the javelins, which mm-hmm. enhanced their weapons, so they didn't didn't have that problem. So it did result in uh, changes. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think I think it also highlights this is that you know we have the beginnings of the invasions with skirmishes where the Vandal are attacking, you know, systems and you know, UE is taking it seriously, but eventually they stop really becoming a problem, more of a nuisance. And then the new UE shows up, but the new UE is not the Mezer UE. They don't have the same logistical support. They don't have the same chain of command. They're, they're not as coordinated and as, as, as effective as the, uh, the old Mezers were. So as, as, as bad as the measures were and as corrupt as they were, they still at least had a little bit more. Like they, they could snack, snack, snag people from across the, you know, the, the empire to throw them in the front lines if they needed to, to just slow down and advance. The new UEE just wasn't really. I mean, they just didn't have the resources available at that time, and they were still in kind of rebuilding their forces. Um, and that'll kind of set us up for the next time we talk, which we'll talk about the... The Vanduul War and how that's been going uh, with the 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 beginning of it, the the attack on Vega, and the um, oh, which is it the uh, Oberon campaign, and uh, the creation the, the capture of the X twelve and the creation of the uh, of the Retribution, the first real like anti Vanduul ships. So um, getting our um, own back. Yes. 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 We will not forget. Yeah. Well, what the Battle of Vega is is quite unique because it's the first time we we yeah I'll, yeah. I'll leave it for next time. It, it's we'll talk about quite it. a nice thing, and it's got that awesome, that absolutely awesome uh, speech by Gary Oldman. Mm-hmm. Um, it is well worth uh, checking out if you've never seen it. Well, thank you all for joining us. Thank you for the, our, our guests for coming on and speaking and doing the research, getting their time and their inputs. Make sure that you're following them. I'll have their links in the description. Go follow their their, their channels, subscribe to them, go watch the, the stuff. Uh, you know, uh, me and Al just did a Info Runners episode, which will probably be out by then. <laughs> Before this, go watch that. Uh, and I know Keenan and I will be doing some uh, some discussion on other space games here shortly as well. So you can go watch that on the Launch Sequence podcast. Um, and uh, uh, find jail and in his corner, pouring over the new lore as it comes out from an alien week. <laughs> um, and like I say every time, uh, wait, I'll do it the right time. And like I say every time, remember, Exostoria 